Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. This month's episode, we have Vanessa Alzetti, and I am just beyond excited because Vanessa, for a while, has been a role model that I look up to in the instructional design world. I would call her the Elle Woods of instructional design. She is not only rocking being an instructional designer, but she has an amazing business um, that's just full of like empowering women and has created an uh, something called the Anchored ID Collective, which allows participants to learn from her, learn from each other, bounce ideas off one another. And it's just a really, really great community that she is making for instructional designers. So I am so happy and so excited that she agreed to come onto the podcast. And I hope you enjoy listening to all of the amazing tidbits and advice that she has for instructional designers. Let's get started. Before we hop into the interview, I wanted to let all of my listeners know that I am currently developing a course with the Online Learning Consortium all about creating inclusive alternative assessments. We're going to dive into ungrading. We're going to talk about different ways to make sure that all students are seen and given choice in your course. And by the end of the course, you'll have the opportunity to create a plan that you can actually implement right away in the course that you're developing or even as an instructional designer, how you can then support your faculty members. If you are interested in joining, be sure to check out the link in the podcast notes. Um, Vanessa, thank you so much for hopping onto the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to just dive deep into all things that you're doing for instructional designers. Like you're just creating this amazing community of support. And so I'm excited to learn a lot more about that. Um, as you probably saw or have heard, I love to start my podcast off with that age old question of tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get to have this conversation. We've been following each other on social media for a little bit. Um, So I am now the founder and CEO of Anchored Training. um, And I've just gotten over my imposter syndrome of I'm also the founder and CEO of the Anchored ID Collective. Um, And so basically what um, how I got started is um, I love to say that Anchored Training was born, it'll be five years uh, this coming January. But I've really been doing, um, you know, corporate training, instructional design since 2009. Um, and when I left my first job, um, I contacted, um, one of our vendors that was a training agency. And I said, Hey, if you have any, you know, e-learning projects, um, that I could take on, you know, on a contract basis, nights and weekends, um, that would be great. Little did I know, um, I just realized this uh, a couple years ago that the owner was like, yes, absolutely. We definitely need help with e-learning. I thought she had this huge team. I was like, she's not even gonna, you know, take me. And she was the one that was doing the e-learning. <laughs> She's like, I'm trying to run this business and I can't, um, or I'm doing this e-learning, you know, really late at night. Um, so I basically, um, would work full time and then freelance for her, um, nights and weekends. And so I did that for quite a few years. And over time, like I really built up her her e-learning department. Um, But over time, things just snowballed where I was working full-time and freelancing full-time. 
totally able to do that um, before I had kids. But then in 2016 and 17, um, I had my daughters back to back one year and two weeks apart. Um, And so when I had Gianna, my youngest, I looked at my husband and I said, I can, like, I cannot do both. Um, We have to figure out which is the right path. Is it to stay in corporate or is it to just go out on my own and have this, um, my own business and just freelance. And even then, even though I picked up a few other clients outside of the, my one big client, I still, um, I still wasn't sure. And I actually went back to work and I lasted two months. (laughs) And then I said, you know what, that's, that's it. Um, so in January, 2018, um, I opened up anchored training, but really I just LLC'd it under something other than me. Um, just for like those purposes, not thinking it was going to be an agency, not thinking it was going to be anything other than just like the name that would be on the check, which uh, that's basically what it was until the end of that first year. It's like around October, Um, I got a call from Eileen Fisher and they wanted me to support them on this uh, training project. And I just didn't have the capacity. And I was like, I'm really sorry, but you know, the end of the year gets really busy for me with my one client. And um, I just didn't have the time. And um, so I had to say no. And I looked at my husband when that happened. I was like, I'm never going to do that again. So that's what I actually started bringing in my, my first contractor and kind of starting the agency thing really, um, just to offload some of the work and lucky, lucky for me, um, Eileen Fisher came back to me six months later and said, okay, so now we're in phase three. Do you have capacity now? I was like, yes. Um, and I built a team and we, uh, developed, um, you know, a bunch of documentation and, and training modules and in person, it was a really great curriculum. Um, and that was really the beginning of an agency that I didn't even know I wanted. Um, and then after that experience, I looked at my VA at the time and I was like, this is what I want to be doing. I like, this is fun. This is like, this is next level for me. Um, and that was the end of 2019. I was like, great. 2020 is going to be my year. <laughs> famous last words. Um, but I actually think that although, uh, 2020 was, was rough uh, for me, it was great because, um, I really was able to take the time to focus on building my brand. Um, so I was never posting on social media. I was too busy to be on social media, right? You know, when you work full-time, you freelance full-time. And at one point I was also getting my, doing my two-year masters. I'd finish it in one year. Like I'm not going to sit there posting on LinkedIn, I'm busy working. Um, and when I wasn't working, I was, you know, trying to enjoy a little bit of that little bit of free time. Um, and so I decided to build my brand online, um, and decided I was going to do a YouTube channel. And the great thing was everything went remote, including, um, conferences and everyone was starting to have virtual conferences and virtual summits and, um, really opening the doors to small, um, instructional designers like me that, um, you know, wouldn't necessarily have gotten in and like a dev learn or something like that. Um, they gave us the opportunity to speak, um, and to do so in a way that I could actually start to build up my, um, my practice, right. And, um, start to connect with others, you know, and, and that was really one of the best things that could have come out of the pandemic. And from there, things just kind of started snowballing and I, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so now we are this year, um, at a place where I've always had this vision for, 
uh, learning and development um, and what I wanted it to look like um, and what I thought it, sh it could look like. Um, and I know that for learning and development, often it feels like, even though I see so many females in the, you know doing the work it still feels like at this level when you're when you're speaking with other CEOs and trying to get in the door it still feels like a, a man's world and so um seeing some of these larger training agencies I'm like females should be right up there with them you know it's very rare to see a female um owned business uh Torrance Learning is honestly one of the few that I see out there like at the at the uh, expo halls and things like that um and I'm like I want to be that person and so we're out there doing that. We are. Uh, we opened up the Anchored ID Collective, um, to support freelance instructional designers. So I'm like, I had questions and I didn't know where to go, and I wanted to build that community, and build a place where we could build up entrepreneurs and people wanted to go into agencies or business or just freelance. Um, that could be that place, and we'll see where it goes from there. That was a lot, but <laughs> those are all the things. No, I love hearing your story. Um, it's such a it's such an inspiring story going from working full-time, um, doing the freelance thing and having to make that decision like, okay, where do I go next? And I think it's amazing mm -hmm. that you've found alignment and you've found this place where you're like, I love doing this. And now I want to go and help others. I think that that is really empowering. Um, and I'm all for the seeing more women, uh, instructional designers and cause we're rock stars. Like I got to say it, we yes. are. <laughs> We really are. I mean, there's a lot that we balance. Um, we take on a lot of, um, we put a lot of things in our invisible backpack and we carry that. Um, you know, my husband always tells me, he's like, I don't multitask. And I said, well, as I'm talking to you, I'm also building a list of 10 other things. <laughs> um, and that's how we are as females, right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, so you spoke to this a little bit um, already where you did your master's program in one year, which congratulations, that's awesome. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your academic and scholarly background. Yeah, absolutely. So I went to Rutgers University. Um, and so I went, um, I majored in communication and political science. Um, you had to major a minor at the college I was at. And I said, mm, I don't really like, like enough other things to, you know, to fill up my class. So I'm like, I'll just double major. Like, this is the story of my life, right? I just love to fill in uh, with a lot of things. So um, I went into college thinking I was going to be a lawyer. My father was a lawyer. We're on the heels of my favorite movie, Legally Blonde. I was like, that's going to be my path, you know? And it's what I grew up with, right? I was all around that field. Um, I actually, you know, my dad went through law school when I was, you know, just born. My brother was born like in the middle of one of his classes. The only, he will say the only class he's ever missed in law school was the one that my brother was born during. Um, and so that, that is, I always thought was like my passion. And I think it still is in a way. Um, I like love that side of things. I just love having healthy debates and conversation. Um, but then I got to my junior year and I was like, mm, this I'm not going to do the law school thing. And so throughout college, I um, was still so I'm part of a sorority um, and I would volunteer for my sorority. I would volunteer with the council that governs all the sororities on, on um, campus. And I was doing uh, developing of educational programming. And I remember um, it was my senior year. I was the director of recruitment counselors and my fraternity sorority advisor, like pulled up, like I 
put together an outline of what our training for recruitment counselors would be, which is basically the same stuff that we did last year. And I handed it to her and she looked at me and she was like, this is like basic. I know that you can do better, do better. And that was the spark in me to like actually really think about like curriculum design and like really being intentional about creating educational opportunities. Um, And so when I left, I graduated during the economic crash of 2008. So I was lucky to find anything. Um, But one of my key words was training. I, you know, also thought I could have gone into HR. I could have gone into recruiting. I don't know. Um, But I really secretly wanted training the most. And um, I got a job that I found on Craigslist, (laughs) all places, um, at a software company here in New Jersey, CRM software. Uh, They work with uh, pharmaceutical companies. Um, And I started as a corporate trainer there. And they're like, you will train you on how to do this work. Um, You just kind of have to have like that, that innate in you to, you know, do well in this um, field. So that is how I got started. And then about a year or two after, so I give myself like a two-year break after graduating, um, before I looked into getting a master's. And I remember saying to myself that like my dad had my master's, his master's, like he had his JD, all these things, like, you know, all my family, like my godfather, my godmother, like on my dad's side of the family education is very important. Um, and so I didn't want to just have my bachelor's. So I went, um, back and applied for North to Northeastern. Um, they had an online program for corporate and organizational communication. Um, and so at that point, I also still thought that I was going to somehow end up in HR. Um, so I specialized in HR management, <laughs> not part of that at all anymore. Um, but that is, yeah. So I did that, um, online and the only time I ever stepped foot on campus was for my graduation. I love that. You're like living the online world while also, you know, working for it full time. Um, yeah. And I think it's awesome that like you basically found in college, like instructional design is kind of your passion already. And I would almost see you as like the Elwoods of instructional design. Right. So yeah, it's when we vision boards, like brand things, um, she is on our mood board every time. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So you mentioned that you were going to go to school to be more of a lawyer type thing. You use the kind of political science pieces, HR management. How do you use some of those things like as an instructional designer now? Yeah. So I think back to all the things that I've, that I've learned through and my interactions, like when I interned in college, I interned on Capitol Hill. Um, I did a summer in DC, um, as a press assistant, um, and really a lot of things that I've learned through my work. Um, during my internship and through my courses is really more about relationship building, communication, and really what we have to do with subject matter experts, right, is find ways to really identify what is happening in the room, right? What is it that's happening that I might not, that may not be telling me, but I'm seeing, you know? Um, so often I will have experiences with clients now where I'm seeing issues with um, maybe some political issues that are, some politics that are being, that are happening, um, you know, at the organization and really paying attention to uh, what's not being said almost more than what is being said um, to really identify what's the best solution for that client um, that's going to actually 
help them move the needle a little bit. So I think that we all want to create these really grandiose um, plans and make big changes. But honestly, most of our clients are not ready for that. So what can we do little by little to get them to where we know they need to be? And that for them is a lot more comfortable. And so all of those things are just things that I've learned through um, my ba- my you know educational background and experience. And um, yeah, I mean, contracts are nice and solid. So that's also yes. very good. <laughs> Absolutely. And I appreciate you mentioning that too, about like the relationship that you're, you're creating with the client, but the conversations that are having, because I think so often instructional designers or our job descriptions focus so hard on, here's the technology you need to know. Here's um, the theories you need to know. And they don't really consider the fact that you need to be able to read somebody and are you going to overwhelm them by telling them, hey, we should go make a storyline articulate with this amazing things. And they're over here, like trying to figure out how to make a video. You know what I mean? Um, right. right. They just want their PowerPoint to be prettier. Right. And like, and that's where they're at. And you're coming at them with a huge gamification um, idea, which not saying you're wrong, but like, let's figure out what the plan is to get from PowerPoint to gamified e-learn and like, what can we do little by little? Maybe it's including elements of gamification in a new PowerPoint style, right? Or like just getting them little by little. Maybe it's introducing them to Rise as their first foray into e-learning. And those little pieces become a lot. um, You actually create more change when you take it piece by piece. instead of going in like swinging for the fences and there's opportunities where you can go swing for the fences and like, yes, absolutely do that. But just know that more often in this industry, and we don't talk about it enough on like the social medias is that you're really doing these little things to get to that bigger change. Yes, absolutely. And it also bodes well for like future contracts too, because you're building those conversations, those relationships, and maybe they might come back in a few months and say, okay, I really want to try your idea now. <laughs> that happens all the time. And honestly, I will also say um, a lot of people in business, if you're going to go in with this huge grandiose, you need to do this and you need to do that. And they say, yes, you haven't spent the time building the foundation they're going to need in order to be successful for that change. It's going to flop. It's going to fail. So what's going to happen? Your reputation is going to be on the line, right? And they're not going to want to come back to work for you. But if you do incremental things and they start to see little change little by little, they will continue to come back because you were able to achieve them results and they felt comfortable doing it. Doesn't mean that you can't push them out of their comfort zone because you will be do by doing little, little, changes little by little. But, um, I think when you go too far at some, at some points, you run more of the risk of hurting your reputation, um, and hurting your chances of repeat business. Yeah. That's some great advice. I appreciate that. Um, so what would you say your greatest success is so far in the field? Oh, great question. Um, I think my greatest success so far um, was one that just happened very recently, and I didn't even know it was happening. So at the beginning of the year, I worked with one of my uh, one of our customers, and we did a whole blueprint for them, and um, they wanted to change um, their studio manager and their sales associate training, and so I did that. And we gave them their roadmap and we gave them their plan. Again, it's like, here is your, where you want to be. And here's a three-year plan to get there. Um, 
And I gave him the plan and I was like, okay, go forth and conquer. And so uh, about two weeks ago, they posted on social media, um, just some screenshots of their newest training. I had no idea that they were even working on it. Um, and they had launched it and, um, seeing that they felt so comfortable and so great going through that process and that they could handle it. Um, and seeing, I knew that they were making other recommendations. We made other recommendations besides their content, but also on their structure. And I knew that they were making those changes. I would see their posts. I would see people getting promoted. Um, and then when I went to ATD ice this year, um, they were doing a, uh, fireside chat. Um, they were invited by a vendor that they partner with to do a fireside chat. And a lot of their conversation in that fireside chat was actually about more of our project and the project they were working on with that vendor. Um, and, you know, they were saying how they've just been taking that blueprint and they've been just going through it like step by step by step and just kind of like checking it off. And I was like, damn, like, that's exactly what I want that, that product to do. And, um, that's exactly what I wanted that, um, that experience to be. I wanted you to feel like you can do it yourself um, on your own. If you needed support, we were here. Um, and, you know, of course, if they wanted us to build the training, great. But I also, that's not going to be a sustainable business model for them. And so I, you know, I wanted it to be a sustainable business model for them. I wanted them to practice doing these things and seeing how it could be done. Because um, that for me brings more joy. That's amazing. And I love the the genuine like the genuine feeling as you're talking about that too. It's like, of course you could have sat there and said, here's all the things that we can do for you. Now let's get started. But you're really like empowering them. Here's the plan, take it and run with it. And I think that that's really powerful. I will say we did, you know, we do share, like here are all the things that we can do for you, but I also don't go in there thinking like they have to book all of them. And um, I think that actually in turn, like when you could be a, also like a genuine cheerleader for your clients, like anytime seeing them post something, I'm like, right there, like, yes, keep going. That comes back tenfold for you. Right. So I think people would see that as like a loss. Like, why would you do that? Why would you give them all the keys to the, all of the information? You just, you just sold your process. You sold your thoughts, you sold your ideas. And I'm like, okay, watch, watch, watch them come back, watch them come back for, uh, you know, bringing me into other divisions, watch them refer our business. You know, it's more of that and they will, they'll flourish more than I could have done for them by actually doing the work for them. Right. It's like, you know, when I think about my kids, like if I do the thing for them, they're never going to learn. But if I teach them how to do it, they will actually learn and grow and flourish from there. And that is a more impactful experience. And that's more the business that I want. Yes. I, somebody, uh, one of my old bosses used to say, like, we're giving them the keys to the kingdom to help them like figure out what to do. And then they're going to keep coming back to then build that kingdom even larger and helping them to, you know, mm -hmm. figure out what to do next. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what would you say is your greatest challenge as an ID? Ooh, um, so um, as I'm going to take this one in two different paths. So as an instructional designer, um, I find the biggest challenge certainly is um, working with our subject matter experts and our stakeholders and just trying to like 
manage those relationships and trying to get the things that you need done, but also respect that they have some, you know, other things going on, right? Other priorities and all of those things. Um, Because once you have the content, right, like you can go and you can be independent and you can do your part of it and then you submit it for reviews. Um, But you really need them there to like, number one, buy into what the solution is, but also um, give you, help give you the content, answer the questions, you know, walk it, you know, walk me through this process. Like I'm a new hire. Um, So just trying to like get through that. So I always say with like, any and every and every talk, tell this to my team all the time. I'm like, you know, every single engagement, there's, it's always rough in the beginning. It's not like sunshines and rainbows. Um, sometimes it is, but like, you always have to, like, when you're getting on the bus, the wheels are not always totally smooth and straight in the beginning. Cause they're trying, they're figuring out how to work with you. You're trying to figure out how to work with them and like the best ways to communicate. And you can ask all those questions, but you still have to like go through those emotions. That is certainly the hardest part. But then once you have smoothed out those like initial bumps and you, everyone's figured out how to work together you're in that group, it is smooth sailing from there. Um, so that's definitely, uh, my biggest challenge as an instructional designer is just like getting through that hump. Um, but I always like, I have to just keep reminding myself, like it gets better. Like we will figure it out. We will get past there. And I'm, and I'm over there cheerleading my, my clients. And I'm like, all right, guys, this is, it's gonna, you know, we're going to be great. We're going to grab this content and then we're going to be smooth sailing. You're not going to have to worry about, you know, this much engagement with us and you're just going to have to review it, but just get me the information. Um, I will also say though, um, as a business owner now, um, where I'm not doing as much of the work, uh, for me, the biggest challenge has been, um, letting go of the work, um, and working on my business, um, as opposed to in my business. And when everyone knows the entire business knows when Vanessa has been working in the business too much, um, because, you know, we'll have a slowdown or like, it won't, we won't have as many like client deals coming through or just be like a slower month or something like that. Um, or I'm like completely stressed out that like, you know, I'm like not sleeping and everyone knows that. Um, so that has been a challenge. And I always tell people like new freelancers or instructional designers, like always be find time to work on your business always because when you have all these projects rolling in, it's amazing. Um, and you'll be in the work, but once you stop, you don't just like stop that project, right? Like they end. And then all of a sudden, like, as soon as you start marketing, like someone's going to be like, yes, I need your services. Like, no, it's a, there's a cycle. There's a long cycle with marketing and sales. Um, and so you will have like, everyone wants to figure out, like have a magic pill for like the lows. Um, and there is no magic pill for the lows. It's a matter of constantly working on your business so that you're bringing in clients, you're, um, and you're bringing in, you know, revenue money. So those, those have definitely been, um, two of my biggest challenges. Yeah. That consistency is so key. Um, Mm -hmm. making sure that you're there at all points. Um, I just, I was part of your, um, the vision boarding video. I took a look at that and I loved the, the Venn diagram that you created saying like, it's really part of your business. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. your soft skills, the hard skills, like that's all part of it in order to really put yourself out there and be successful. Yeah. And you can't, 
So you can't be an just amazing at the hard skills, right? Like you can, but then you're just always going to be a developer, right? If you want to go beyond just that development and some people just want to just develop, like be given the content and they go and develop and like, that's great. Go forth and conquer. But a lot of people don't. And so the other two pieces of that, like the soft skills and the relationship management communication is so key to that because people buy from people. They want to have those relationships with their vendors and um, they, if, it's the same thing, like when you're working a corporate job, right? If I make a, if I have a really great personal brand at work and my colleague loved working with me, he leaves to go to another organization. They have the same problem that they were having at the company we worked at together and they need someone to solve that problem. Guess who's he's, who he's calling for a job opening? me. And he's probably already teed me up to his boss saying, I have the perfect person for this. And guess who has a bump up against anybody else that applies for that job? Me. Um, and so we just don't put that, that, we just don't think so much about the value of building business relationships and building relationships as a whole. And then that whole last piece is all about like your business, right? And yes, people will say, well, I don't plan on having my own business. And it's like, that's fine. Again, that personal brand example I just gave is a completely internal example. And the other pieces of that business side is also project management. Um, and just being able to like vision for yourself, like, where do you want your career to go? Um, and just going back to project management, like I will say a lot of clients say to us, like the key difference is that y'all had this process and you walked us through and you like held to your process. Um, whereas sometimes we feel like we don't really know what's going on, what's happening. Um, project management is something that we need as, uh, in the learning field, we need more project managers, um, that understand learning and development. It's such a, it's so hard. Like I'm constantly looking for more PMs because it's really key to the business because as instructional designers, we're creative people. Like we're not always project managers. Um, so being able to build up your skills in that or finding someone that can help you with that. Key. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like with instructional designers, we we do have to have all those hats on, right? It's not just, mm-hmm. I'm going to go develop. Like you have to be able to communicate to your client, to your SME of here's where, st- here's in the big picture, here's what step we're on and here's how long it's going to take. And once we mm-hmm. finish that, here's the next thing. Otherwise they're kind of just lost in their own world going, I don't really know what's happening. So I'm just going to stop working because I don't know where I go next. Yeah. Or it's even like, they'll say, uh, the subject matter expert didn't get me back their review on time. And I'm like, all right, let me see the email you sent them. And I'm like, well, you didn't tell them when it was due. You didn't tell them how you wanted the feedback back, right? Like you have to walk them through exactly what you want, spell it out super clear. I'll even do a TLDR on a lot of my emails, right? Because I'll put a lot of information and I'm like, you know what? If you skimmed it, here's what I really need from you. And people appreciate that. I love that. That's awesome. Because <laughs> it's so true. Anytime I see a long yeah. list of things, I'm like, let me just go look at the summary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you mentioned this very briefly at the beginning about finally getting over your imposter syndrome with the ID collective. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, I think that I never, I, for when I thought of the idea of the ID collective and I, I have had the idea of it for over a year. Um, I didn't really see it as a separate entity necessarily. Um, but now really seeing 
the value that it can bring, the community that it can build, um, and all of the other pieces that we're building right now um, that are part of it. Like we have courses that we're ready to, like workshops that we're ready to launch, you know, workshops on 508 compliance, workshops on how your um, identity, like your social identity impacts you as a designer um, and how to like look at your training from a DEI lens so that you are, you know, aware of some of how some of your biases show up and we all have them. Right. And it could be something as simple as like, you don't even realize that you're picking very similar looking people for all of the photos in your, um, in your deck or something like that. Um, and so we have, we have some stuff on engaging e-learning. So like we're really building, um, you know, its own community where people can come grab what the the support that they need without having to go through like a full program, master's program or anything like that. Um, and I'm hoping that out of it, because all of the workshops are interactive, that people can build, you know, more portfolio pieces and things like that, because that's always what people are struggling with. Um, so I'm hoping by like kind of guiding people through more people will be able to develop um, what they need to get out there. Um, but I think that, you know, as a female, like to give myself the title of like CEO, like I'm so not a title person. Um, like I told you, I, uh, you know, worked with my one client for years and built up her e-learning department. Like two years ago, I finally gave myself, like I had to like change the title because we started bringing in more developers. Right. Um, and I still made it like, I was like, I don't care what it is. I'm like the title does like titles don't matter to me. They don't mean anything. Um, but I find that founder and CEO of the Anchored ID Collective, it's like, I have a separate business that I'm now responsible for um, and a separate team that's working on that business. And it is up to me to continue to help drive revenue into it so that it can be sustainable for them. Um, because I want anybody that works for me, whether it's on Anchor Training, the Anchored ID Collective, or this other thing that I'm doing, a couple of things that I'm doing, um, I want them to be able to thrive as humans because of my business. Um, but I also want to make sure that business is providing value. Um, and I think, I don't know, like when I think of myself before I opened up anchored training and or like started freelancing, like I always knew I was going to, you know, be someone, right? Like someone of importance at an organization, but never, but like maybe like a vice president, like probably like a director or vice president. I never saw myself as a CEO, like the person like at the top of that hierarchy, um, for probably for many reasons. Um, and so that has having to unlearn that story that I'd been telling myself for years, um, and undo some of those, um, things that unconsciously I told myself, um, it takes a lot of work and it's still hard to do. I appreciate you sharing that story. I think it's important for us to be able to hear that all of us suffer from imposter syndrome and mm -hmm. being able to recognize that like it is, it, you are able to work through it, even though then something will happen and then you feel that imposter syndrome again, but then working through that yeah. again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It never goes away. No, I agree. And <laughs> you just figure out how to deal with it. <laughs> yes, exactly. You fake it till you make it. And then, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you, yeah, then you're good. And then you keep faking and then you fake it again yeah. until you make it again. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so what would be your best piece of advice for, um, an inspiring, like somebody who wants to be an instructional designer or somebody who is looking to start freelancing? 
I think um, if you're looking to, you know, be an instructional designer, um, whether freelance or, um, you know, or internal, I think really being great at the foundations of instructional design. And don't worry so much about the tools because the tool will change, right? It, right now, it feels like articulate is the end all be all. At one point, Captivate was that end all be all. And then Articulate came. So know that that, you know, these things will change. What won't change, right, is the adult learning theory, is the best practices and the principles, right? All of those things stay the same. You just have to think and like reapply it for the new world that we're living in. Um, and as much as it feels like as instructional designers, all we do is e-learning development. I'm working on a project now um, and I'm, you know, supporting a, an L&D department. And most of the people in that department don't have, you know, that technology background. So there are jobs out there, even though it doesn't look like it, um, in which you don't need to know the tool. You're not going to be doing e-learning. You're still going to be doing traditional like ILT, VILT. Um, as far as, um, you know, for... I guess for both actually, um, really working on your personal brand. Um, because again, you never know where that's going to take. You never know, right? Like I didn't think I was going to have a business that wasn't really on my path. I thought that my husband was gonna have the business. Um, and so if I did not have, if I did not build that personal brand internally, um, I think it would have been, you know, would have been different, right? Um, a lot of people that you meet, can help you. Um, and they're your referrals. They're your initial cheerleaders when you start um, striking out into this business. And a lot of times they're your first clients. Um, so really working on those two things truly are crucial and will set you up whether you are an internal practitioner or you become a freelancer. Um, yeah. That's awesome advice. I appreciate that. Um, and then finally, just to kind of wrap things up, I always love stealing what other people are currently reading because I feel like mm -hmm. as IDs, we're lifelong learners, always trying to learn as much as we can. So what are you currently yeah. reading? So I'm actually, so I have this new thing where I have like a book for the morning and like a book for the, um, like nighttime. So my book for the morning, after I do my workout, um, I'm rereading Atomic Habits. Um, and I'm actually, it's so funny because there are certain books in life that like you will reread constantly and you'll pull different things. I'm pulling very different things from Atomic Habits. Um, and not so much about like the habit forming and all of that actually more about the identity piece. And that to me, where I am right now is actually really speaking to me. Um, and so that is what I'm reading in the morning at night. I'm reading, um, gap and gain by Daniel Sullivan, um, talking all about, um, like happiness and, and things like that. And how, if we're always operating from place, place of gap, as opposed to like what I've gained, uh, you're always going to be looking for more. And like, that's something that I struggle with is like, I will achieve things and I won't celebrate it. Or I was just like, okay, what's the next goal? Um, like my room was packed at DevLearn and I don't think I fully celebrated how monumentous that moment was because I was like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next goal that we've achieved uh, or we can achieve? So really uh, that book I'm hoping is going to help me take time to like stop, to actually celebrate um, and operate more from a place of gain as opposed to always in the gap. I just wrote that book down because that is 100% something that I struggle with too. Mm -hmm. um, I just finished my doctoral degree and 
congratulations. Already like, thank you. Earlier this year though, I was already going, okay, what's next? What am I doing now? Mm -hmm. What am I doing next? And then people keep asking like, so what's next? And I'm like, I just want to like enjoy this for a moment and then I'll figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm, uh, uh, hosting a retreat with uh, Dr. Robin Sargent of Idol Courses and Dr. Nicole uh, Papiano Lugera. And like we're putting together like a website and like both of their names have doctor in it and mine doesn't. Mine doesn't. And I'm like, do I want to go get a PhD? And my team's like, Vanessa, please don't. You really don't have the time for that. And I'm like, but I, I, they're like, please just stop. Like you don't need it it's fine. Maybe if you somehow find time in the future, you can go back to it. But like right now, please, like you'll actually kill us and yourself in this process. (laughs) I understand that. That's part of the reason why I went and got it. Cause all the people around me were like, doctor this. And I'm like, I need to go do that now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When I got my master's, I made my husband call me master for like a week or something like that. Like the clothes I'll ever get to a doctorate. So I love it. Well, we can chat offline too about some programs that don't take that long. So (laughs) not that you need to go do it, but (laughs) thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. It was really great um, having a conversation with you. I feel like we have a lot, just the pathway, the things that we kind of struggle with, imposter syndrome, the things that we're passionate about are very aligned. So I truly appreciate you talking through all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Vanessa as much as I did. And I hope you got a lot of tidbits for working through that imposter syndrome that you might be feeling. Be sure to follow Vanessa on LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok because she is definitely the queen of TikTok in instructional design. She offers some really great information just to help you as the instructional designer work through some different things that you might be going through, such as creating a portfolio, working with subject matter experts, and just overall being a really amazing, empowered businesswoman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear someone else's perspective in the online learning field. Hopefully their stories were enough to inspire you and show you that you're not alone as you're going through the process of creating a course, teaching a course, or even just learning as a student in an online course. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.